0: The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. The God of the Bible uses many forms of speech. He narrates, informs, instructs, warns, reasons, promises, commands, explains, exclaims, entreats, and encourages. Preach it, brother. Though God is revealed in the natural order, in the course of history and in the deliverances of conscience sin makes mankind impervious and unresponsive to this general revelation. Those are a couple of really cool sentences that are found in the exposition portion of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Hermeneutics from 1982. For those reading along at home, it's in the uh, subsection that's headed the communion between God and mankind. I know you're reading along at home. All good faithful students of the faith debate read along at home. I'm Troy Skinner. This is the Faith of Eight on News Radio 930 WFMD. On your AM dial at 930. On your FM dial at 99.9 HD2. On the World Wide Web at WFMD.com. You can live stream or you can catch it later in podcast. All of these shows eventually make their way over to Sermon Audio as well as Odyssey and other social media platforms. If you want to connect with any and or all of that, easiest way to do that is go to householdoffaithinchrist.com. I know it's a mouthful, but that's the name of the church, Household of Faith in Christ. And so the website is householdoffaithinchrist.com. I gave some thought to making the website be like hofick.com. just all the, But that 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 just seemed weird. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't do that. On the panel again this week, as we continue our look at the uh, uh, the, the state of biblical hermeneutics in the church today, um, Daniel uh, Razvi, his father Imran Razvi, also known as Raz, And uh, David Forsey, again, I'm Troy Skinner, and uh, thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us here uh, on the show. So, um, I think they tried to cover everything in that first thing I said at the very beginning of the show, right? God of the Bible uses many forms of speech, and then they list a whole bunch of different kinds of forms of speech. I think we agree that that's true, and I think this is an important point to make because we've got to understand what is the form of speech we're dealing with when we're interpreting a particular passage, you know, is it um, you know, is it some sort of an instruction? Is it a promise? Is it encouragement? There is, sometimes, if you understand what is being communicated, it's going to alter slightly how you're interpreting the words that you're then going to be preaching on or studying.
1: And and also, to whom is it being communicated? Amen. You know, looking back through, uh, uh, you know, is it is it being communicated to the the people of god at that time in history uh, is it being communicated to uh the the enemies of god's people at that time in history you know, it's uh that's that's very important context as well
0: yeah anything else that you would want to add on that point the the other thing was talking about you know we can learn about god through nature the general revelation tells us about god um but people are not always responsive in the way they should be to that. Doesn't give an excuse, but they're not responsive. And so we need to uh, look to the special revelation, the written word of God and, and interpret that and apply it to the, what we know to be true about the natural order and all that sort of stuff. That's what the gist of, I think that is saying. I don't think we have anything really to talk about there. Sure, Yeah. So now the next section of their exposition is, uh, has a subtitle of the authority of scripture. And that begins with Holy scripture is the self revelation of God. In and through the words of men, it is both their witness to God and God's witness to himself. Uh, any issues there? We actually had a, something come up that alluded to this, that we had some question from Daniel uh, on a previous show. I don't know if this is something you wanted to talk about some more now.
2: The Isidesis versus Exegesis, you mean? That's, that's talked about further down in here. Yeah no, yeah, no, no, no. You were talking...
0: Uh, my recollection is a few shows ago uh, about how the how the word of God came to be, whether it was, you know, God basically uh using a scribe to dictate his words directly through them, or if it was God's word and the human author's word at, at one and the same time. And it seemed like you weren't necessarily going to automatically uh, grant that point. I don't know if that was something you wanted no, to talk I, about. I would
2: I would just uh, the only thing I would say further about that is that it's it doesn't really matter. What matters is that the words that got written down were exactly the words that God wanted, no more and no less and no different.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that that's uh, what all Christians should believe to be true. And I think this was a cool insight for me. Like when, uh, when it dawned on me, uh, I'm not sure if it dawned on me or if somebody, you know, said it and because of what they taught me, it dawned on me. Um, the Psalms, you know, it's like uh, Psalm 27 of David, you know, well, that's true. It's of David. I think Psalm 27, I'm going off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure that's a Davidic (laughs) psalm. (laughs) But regardless, it says who the human author is, but Christ is the word. So there's a sense in which it's Psalm 27 of Christ. Like the Psalms are about Christ, but they're also written by Christ and when we sing these psalms, or we study, you know, they're meant to be songs, ultimately. When we sing the psalms, Christ is singing them with us. And because he's the origin, he's the author. When that resonated with me, the psalms took on a different kind of a, of a life uh, for me. Right. So I think it's good for us to remember that, yeah, there are human authors. Um, but ultimately, there's one author of all of it. And that's why you use scripture to interpret scripture and it all ties together because there is the, the one mind of God that is behind it all. All right. Yeah. So nobody wants to uh, push back on that. Good. Uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit and the scriptures is in the next section of, uh, of this exposition. And um, this, the second paragraph in this is the part that, um, that I, I wanted to uh, read and see if we have any comment on. Uh, The Holy Spirit's illumination can only be expected where the biblical text is diligently studied. Illumination does not yield new truth over and above what the Bible says. Rather, it enables us to see what Scripture was showing us all along.
2: So, um, The road uh, to Emmaus is a very good example of that. These disciples knew all the Scriptures. They had memorized in all likelihood, quite a few of them. And so when Jesus met them on the road to Emmaus... He didn't tell them anything new. He showed them what they already knew, what was there all along, in a different light, and then all of a sudden the light bulb went off, oh, okay, yeah, now I get it, right? So it's it's the same type of thing, right? There's not, just because the Holy Spirit is helping us understand, or is explaining to us, that doesn't mean there's anything new that that we're going to get out of it other than
1: what's already there.
0: Yeah, I think some people are nervous about the diligently studied part. I don't know if we wanted to pick at that at all. It looks like David was about to say something, actually.
1: Well, I, I think it's interesting that they uh, or they include the, the term uh, expected, right? The Spirit's illumination can only be expected, where the biblical text is diligently studied. And uh, so I, I think what they're getting at there is uh, that, you know, that, that without... Uh, Without diligently seeking to know what God has already said, we should not expect to,
2: to have him say to hear, anything else to us? Right,
1: yeah, to, to, hear, <laughs> to hear anything from him.
0: And I think this would be a nice reminder for uh, I know there's at least one person that's going to hear my voice right now that has done this at least once in their life. They don't really read the Bible, they're not really much of a church goer. Or they grew up in the church, or they understand the Bible has some value, and now they got a crisis moment in their life, and so they open up their Bible to somewhere in the middle, and they usually end up landing somewhere in the Psalms, and they read a Psalm, and and they're looking for like that instantaneous like message from God to speak to their moment, and sometimes they feel like they found one, but should they expect that what they found is actually what that text is saying? Is it coming by the by the illumination of the Holy Spirit? Or are they uh, doing what these preachers who do topical sermons are doing? They're trying to find a, a proof text to, 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 to address where they are at that moment in their life kind of a thing. So I think what they're saying is you should expect that the Holy Spirit's revealing what the Word is really saying if you are actually diligently studying and not just picking a verse at random and say, Oh, there's my life verse. Yeah.
1: Right. And, uh, you know, it's not unreasonable for uh, for God to, you know, say without saying. But... You know, when we are studying a, a portion of Scripture, if we have other Scripture available, you know, it's not it's not unreasonable for him to say, "Well, you should read the other things that I've written for you <laughs> to help you understand this portion of Scripture."
2: Yeah, God's written more than one verse. <laughs> you know, you want to avoid the trap, uh, which I've heard some people say before. Yeah, me and God are okay. Like we, you know, we we talk a lot. I, I pray a lot. and You know, to spend time with in, with Him. What well, do you read your Bible? Well, well I mean, I mean. The Holy Spirit is indwelling me. He, he tells me what I need to know. Well, okay, yeah, not really. I mean, you need to be reading the Bible. Yeah, um, we can't follow our
0: heart. We, have, you know, we, have to, uh, we can only follow our heart insofar as we've had the Holy Spirit leading our heart. If the Holy Spirit's leading our heart, well, then you can follow it because you're really following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But you can only know if you're doing that against God's revealed will in Scripture. Yeah,
2: if you're, if you're saying— that doesn't mean God won't ever speak to you. Outside of Scripture, like audibly or in your head or anything like that, that that does happen.
0: Yeah, but if somebody's going to say, yeah, I'm I'm good with God because I'm talking to him all the time, you know, well, okay, but it sounds like a monologue. Like, are you ever hearing him back? (laughs) Are you you ever reading what he has to say, (laughs) you know? Right. The next section, uh, I didn't have anything that I highlighted here, the idea of hermeneutics. I don't know if there's anything in there we're going to want to talk about it so we can swing back later because the next, because it's just one paragraph. The very next section is multiple paragraphs, and it's uh, got the subtitle, The Scope of Biblical Interpretation. And there's a few things here that I wanted to, uh, uh, to read and uh, see what we think. The interpreter's task is to understand both what Scripture meant historically and what it means for us today. First comes exegesis extracting
2: from the text what God, uh, by the human writer, was expressing. let stop, stop there for a second. Oh, okay. So exegesis, it's really important, the difference between exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis, as it says here, it's looking what the text said and, and, and just starting with the text. Say, what does the text itself say? Rather than eisegesis, which coming with your own preconceived notions, notions your own glasses to look through the text from outside some other thing that you were taught. Whether it's, as we talked about last week, science and evolution has told you this, and then you can put that glass on, and you'll find evolution in the Bible if you really, really want to. <laughs> it won't be there if you're honest, but, it, but you can find it if you really want to. Or whether it's some other, some, some doctrine, you know, maybe it's from the Catholic Church or something, somewhere you grew up in, in a denomination that maybe wasn't that biblically sound, and you're starting with that lens and say, you know what? I need to find the Catholic confessional in the Bible. You can probably find a passage that sort of alludes to that if you really try. But if you start from the text itself, you won't find that because it's, it's anti-scripture, right? So that's, uh, you want to avoid eisegesis. Don't start with your own preconceived I, I think,
1: Yeah, I think a, I mean, a, a pertinent example based on some other conversations we'd have, we've had recently would be to say, uh, you know, um, I, I believe in evolution. Therefore, when I come to scripture, I should see evolution there, right? Right.
2: And, and you, you don't want to read Scripture that way. You want to read Scripture with kind of a blank slate in your mind. Say, well, God, what do you have for me here? And just read the text. Okay, I think the text is saying this. Well, that kind of matches with some other thing that I heard before. Well, that's okay, great. If it doesn't match, okay, fine. It, it doesn't have to. <laughs> God's word, stands on its own and you need to start with that text. So that's what it's saying by exegesis is start with the text and just look at what the text says. And as a memory
0: device to help you understand the difference between the two words. Eisegesis, by the way, is E-I-S. It start, does not start with the letter I, it's E-I-S. It has to do with inputting something. And uh, exegesis says, it says here, extracting. So think about like, if you wanted to extract yourself from building you follow the exit sign, right? You, you're exiting the building, so you're, you're extracting from, you're pulling out from the text what it's actually saying, and that's what you want to be doing, uh, rather than uh, pushing your ideas in. Well, so,
2: exegesis you can memorize it with I. It, I know it doesn't start with the letter I, but it's like I. I want this. I want to find this in the Bible, and therefore I will find it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't want that.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, exegesis doesn't have anything to do with racer X for speed race or anything like that. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody thought so, but now that I've planted that seed in your, in your head, you'll never lose it. Uh, so then, continuing here, so that was first. First comes exegesis. Then second comes integration, correlating um, uh, within the frame of reference of, uh, uh, of what's in the text. So we, wanna, we want to uh, figure out what the text is saying and then how this fits within the... Other larger pa- the other context of scripture, of scripture right? How it, how it integrates within the whole biblical meta narrative. Kind I of like thing.
2: I mentioned, we mentioned last week about don't have a doctrine stand or fall on one verse or even one passage. It needs to be supported by other parts of scripture.
0: And then third comes application for the correcting and directing of thought and action. So this is where a lot of people start. You know, you go to a lot of local Bible studies and stuff, and they want to jump right into the application. What's it mean for you? You know, how is this going to change your life? I want to apply it to my life, which is fun. We should be applying Scripture to our life, but not before we figure out what exactly the Scripture is saying, what it means, and
2: how it fits within the broader scope of all of Scripture so that I can accurately apply it into my well, life. Well, we start with a problem that we want God to solve or Scripture to solve, mm-hmm. and then we try to find Scripture that will teach us how to solve that rather than just starting with Scripture and seeing what God wants us to do says that all
0: preaching should be based on this threefold procedure. And you'll actually see a lot of uh, pastors preach sermons with this structure, right? Mm. They've got the, uh, the 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 unfolding of the text itself, uh, and then they're going to show you how it connects to the rest of the Bible, and then they end with their 10-minute application about how you can live a better Christ-filled life and that sort of thing. It's a very uh, almost stereotypical way that uh, a lot of sermons are, are structured. And there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't mean to Say that stereotypes are bad in this case uh, but in, in case you're wondering why your pastor always seems to end with the application well he's trying to follow this this idea um, doesn't mean you have to there's been times like myself um just to kind of for a change of pace to to catch somebody off guard i'll open with a bold application point right off the bat and, there, and uh, you must do this, the Bible said, and, the, and say, now let me explain to you why I said all those things. Our text today is, <laughs> you know, I've I've, uh, I've I've done it that way as a presentation style, so you don't have to end with application, but the application should be part of the message.
1: And, I mean, that's that's what we see teachers doing in Scripture, right, is speaking the Word of God, right, and then connecting that to, to what God has already said. Uh, yeah, I mean, we see Jesus do it, we see Paul do it, right, and then than giving application for that truth. And so we should see ourselves do it. Right.
0: Yeah. This is the Faith Debate. I'm Troy Skinner. That was the voice of David Forsey. You've also heard a lot of uh, Daniel Rasby. Not so much of Imran today. He's kind of laying in the weeds today. He's, he's sitting back there judging us. That's what he's doing. <laughs> 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 he's got his little report card. He's scoring. Right, I'm giving Daniel a B-plus on that answer. Troy F.,
1: um, Don't play favorites. Right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Formal Rules of Biblical Interpretation is the next section. This is a lengthier section, so I'm going to break this up into pieces. They've got an A, B, C, and D. So uh, right at the very beginning of this section. By the way, in case you're wondering, what are we talking about? This is, we're talking about the Chicago Statement on Biblical Hermeneutics that uh, came out in 1982. So just a little over 40 years ago. Um, let's see. The Believing Interpreter will use his mind not to impose or manufacture meaning, but to grasp the meaning that is already there in the material. Interpretation should adhere to the uh, single literary meaning which each passage carries. Symbols and figures of speech must be recognized for what they are. I'm going to pause there. The first part is basically saying don't do eisegesis. Don't impose your ideas into the text the next thing is saying to make make sure you're understanding what kind of literature what genre are you reading
2: the next uh, the next um, sentence is a little bit confusing though the work of scholars who though not themselves Christians have been able to understand biblical ideas accurately will be a valuable resource in the theoretical part of the interpreters task what do you think that means that it that it matters what other people who are not Christians have to think
1: uh, maybe maybe it's just saying that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't throw out you know historical research you know that just has be- that has been done by non Christians sure you know and say that it's it it's useless because you know the the spirit's not in them.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while. Doesn't mean that you wouldn't eat the, <laughs> eat the
1: acorn just because the squirrel was blind. God, God has a habit of using uh, using unbelievers to enlighten believers uh, in the biblical narrative. So, uh, right. I wouldn't put it past him to continue to do that. And maybe that's what it's that saying here. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Um, So the symbols and figures of speech must be recognized for what they are. I think this is where we sometimes can get into trouble and we get into disagreements as believers where somebody's going to say, no, I'm taking that as a figure of speech. I'm taking that as symbolic. And somebody else is going to say, no, it's in black and white right there. You know, take it at face value. And and so that's where we that's where iron sharpens iron. That's where you have shows like the faith debate actually have a reason to exist. Uh, is because of disagreements over those kinds of things. And sometimes those are issues over which brothers and sisters in Christ can disagree uh, about how you're going to understand some of those things. Yeah, right. So uh, subpoint B in this section sa- begins with, the literal sense of each passage should be sought by the grammatical historical method, that is, by asking what is the linguistically natural way to understand the text in its historical setting. This is so important and most believers are not equipped to do this very well which is why study is important having a faithful pastor is important uh, having discernment about which online resources to trust is important because we're not real good uh, at, collectively at doing this in, in, in my experience
2: right you want to know what it meant you know it's, it's similar to the method of constitutional interpretation in the US Constitution you want Uh, On the conservative side of the aisle, usually people say we want to know what the framers and the writers of the Constitution meant when they wrote that, not what it means to us today in the new context of how English has evolved, (laughs) right? And we're
0: challenging this area for for both of those words, the grammatical, historical. So the grammatical, I mean, we we live in a kind of a postmodern sort of an age where it's reader response theory, and uh, I get to decide as the reader what the text means, yeah, I'm not basing it on the the genre, on the grammar, on the linguistics. Or, none of that matters. I get to decide, and so that's the that's the that's the, the 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 tone, the general tone of the era with which we live. And so, we we're we're not trained through the school system how to properly interact with literature, and so we're at a disadvantage yeah. for that reason. And then the historical, there are people that don't know who won the election in 2020 in this country. <laughs> that's not even ancient history. So. Trying to go back 20 years, 200 years, 2,000 years. Are you kidding me? We're such a deficit. We don't know our own history, much less the history of the world and how it all fits. So that's even, why we need people to help
2: us. And even language changes, right? Modern Greek and modern Hebrew is not the same as it was in the biblical times. Well, yeah, the, at, the, the Hebrew and Greek or, of the Bible are basically dead languages. Nobody and, speaks and I mean, those anymore. But, and even look at a living language like English. Take the King James, which uses the word meat a lot, M-E-A-T, um, to mean food in general not whether meat or vegetable um, but in, in modern English meat really only means like animals and so you might uh, read a passage that says don't eat meat and what well, passage might be saying to fast <laughs> but you're saying oh well he wants us to be vegetarian no if you're reading the King James in this case right this is even in the space of 400 years, the language has changed enough that sometimes it's difficult to understand. So definitely put it in the context of what it meant at the time it was written originally um, and, and, and how the grammar would work, but also the culture of the time and what, what people would have understood from, the, from that uh, passage.
0: And the next um, section on here is interpretation should adhere to the principle of harmony. We should look to Scripture to interpret Scripture. We've kind of already touched on those points either this show or last show, so I don't know that we need to to, to, to hammer any more on that unless you have some stray thoughts you want to say. All right, in the next section here, interpretation should be canonical. That is, the teaching of the Bible as a whole should always be viewed as providing the framework within which our understanding of each particular passage must be reached. Uh, valuable as an aid in determining the literal meaning of biblical passages uh, it would be, include uh, the genre, for example. Um, since mistakes about genre lead to large scale misunderstandings of biblical material, it is important that this particular discipline not be neglected. Um, so it should be canonical. So it should be within, if, if you think you found a brand new fresh insight that nobody in the church has ever thought of before, it's possible you're the only one in the history of the world who got it right. But odds are really good that you didn't, and it's outside of what is considered canon, part of the teaching of true biblical uh, understanding of things. it's part of the way I test myself when I'm preparing a sermon. You know, I, I kind of, I'm studying the passage and trying to figure out what I think it it, it, it truly means and how to apply it in my congregations, uh, in the, in our setting of, as a congregation, those sorts of things. But then I'm reading a, a bunch of other people to check myself and see, does anybody agree with me? <laughs> and uh, also, to check, does anybody disagree with me? And if so, what are the merits of their arguments? Because... It might not be so much that they're going to change my mind, but maybe they also have a valid point that is also true that I somehow missed. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's a time when, I I don't think there is. There's a time when I was like, man, I totally missed that. I'm so glad I did my study because I got it completely wrong. I don't think I've had that happen, but I'm open to the possibility of being corrected uh, in such a way. And I think you're less likely to have that happen if you keep in mind the genre, which is the, the last point in that section is talking about. I think we almost have to start almost have to start there. By the way, he's talking about starting there. We now have to end there. We, we're running out of time. we got less than a minute left in, in the show. So, uh, sorry, I got the last word, guys. I'm Troy Skinner getting the last word. That's a rare treat for me, I got to say. Uh, David, uh, uh and Daniel Rasby and Imran Rasby. He's here. Trust me. I don't know if he said anything today, but to you guys are doing a good job. there he is. He gave us an attaboy. We all get A pluses for today. Uh, this is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Find us online at householdthefaithinchrist.com and also wfmd.com. Uh, but really... Uh, even if you go to HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com, that'll connect to the, the the website for the radio station as well. So that uh, can be a one-stop shop for you. So we're going to uh, probably finish this up, I think, uh, next week. Looking forward to that. That'll be 167 and a half hours from right now. Until then, God bless.